Tonight is wonderful to see the presence of everyone. I know we have a great number from the congregation. We have several from the community and you are a very honored guest. We're thrilled to have you here today. On the board, as you see, or if you can see from middle way back or not, I filled it up pretty heavy, the need for saving souls. This is the very, very important part of New Testament Christianity. This is what it's all about. And if we're not careful, what will happen is we will get distracted by things of this world and not pay enough attention to our eternal soul salvation. You know, it hurts my heart to hear about different situations around the globe. But it's a very big concern of mine when people do not really look inward and take care of their spiritual life. One day, this world will come to an end. The Bible teaches that completely. And during that time of the final end, we will be judged by the way we have lived. And if we have obeyed God or not, the judge will be God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, according to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. So therefore, individually, it is very important that we all make sure of our soul salvation. There's only one of two places to go. The place for the righteous, the place for those who are not righteous. Better known to us as heaven or hell. So therefore today is very, very important. In Proverbs the 11th chapter verse, three, uh, verse 30, Proverbs 11 and verse 30, Solomon, who wrote the particular book of Proverbs, he said the latter part of the passage that he that is wise winneth souls. Are we wise? Think about it. What effort have we put forth to help win people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him, to obey him, to become a son or daughter of God Almighty? We're going to cover some very important information tonight. At this time, we'll have a word of prayer, followed by another song, and then we will study the need for saving souls. As we study tonight on the need for saving souls, I want you to first of all look at yourself and then look at other opportunities to have a positive influence on others so you can help them save their soul. In Proverbs 11, chapter verse 30, that is a powerful passage. He that is wise winneth souls. I want us to be very much focused on what it is to help to win the lost. And in order to really find out that thus sets the Lord, we're going to go back to three somewhat popular passages in the New Testament. Now, we've chosen all but two passages. Um, we're going to go to Ezekiel later on during the lesson. The remainder of the passages will be in the New Testament. So regardless of what translation you are using, this will be teaching us some very important truths. And it will remind us that we really need to step it up. If we have been lying dormant 
or if we have not been taking living a Christian life serious and helping other people to obey the Lord. There's a lot at stake here tonight. These first three verses are verses given by Jesus. Would you go with me to the last chapter of Matthew, the 28th chapter? In Matthew, the 28th chapter, this is what is commonly called the Great Commission. And these three passages, one from Mark, one Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, I would like to read, as you see here, verses 18 through 20. And then we'll go to Mark and go to Luke and do likewise. I want to make a few comments on each of these. And throughout the lesson, I will briefly reference them again as we uh, move on from uh, throughout many different points. In Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew, the last few verses of Matthew, 18 through 20, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I believe today that all of you that are here believe in the Lord Jesus. Now we have to really look at ourselves and make sure that we are obeying the Lord Jesus. It's one thing to say I love him, but it's something else to love him and obey him. Very important. Now please look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, immediately, I want everybody to stop and evaluate their salvation. This is part of your salvation right here, Matthew 28, 19. Were you, have you been baptized? And were you baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? You know, there are very popular religious groups that do not baptize this way. They baptize in the name of Jesus only. But Jesus said right here in Matthew's account, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the last 43 years of preaching the gospel, I have known of numerous people, I have witnessed several, and I have baptized several, who realized that, no, I wasn't baptized according to Jesus' teaching. I want to redo my baptism. And therefore they did because they wanted to be baptized according to the Great Commission of Matthew. Now everybody here needs to think about your own life and make sure that you've obeyed this particular writing. Now verse 20 said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with Yahweh even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now friends, I've had people all over the country and at times when we're doing person work, workshops, and people's homes or in other private settings. We discuss at great length what it means to be one who is reaching out to the lost, doing personal work, personal evangelism. And people have often said, well, wh wh where do we go after the baptism? What Jesus said right here, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It doesn't take any of us to be a rocket scientist to understand. Once they understand the facts of salvation, what to do to be saved, and then they are saved according to Scripture, then we need to continue to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That is why 
among many others across the land. I'm proud of this congregation because they're so eager, willing, and ready to study with anyone and teach them all things Jesus has spoken. Teach them what to do to be saved and teach them what to do to stay saved. In conjunction with Matthew 28, now Mark and Luke are the same event. Mark 16, last chapter of the book of Mark. is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three different writers in the New Testament writing about the same event of Jesus, and that is him delivering the Great Commission. In Mark 16, verse 15 and verse 16, Notice here, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now that's a very straightforward passage. Now one thing the congregation, in this case the apostles who first received this message, they were told to go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. The message of the Great Commission should be preached among all nations and every creature throughout the globe. Regardless of what country, nationality they are, they need to hear the gospel. But we need to hear it right here in America too. We need to hear it in this county, in this city. We need to hear it in this state, what it takes to be saved and how to stay saved. I'm so thankful for this congregation. And through the years that I've been coming here since I was a teenager, off and on through the years, I've enjoyed that. And I have seen people, you know, obey the gospel and some uh, wandered away, some moved away and different things. But it's so important that we do what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, dear friends, listen, preaching is simply teaching, and we need to teach people, whether publicly or privately. It's very important. Well, what is it we're to teach? Look at verse 16. We're to teach. This is what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. Look at your scriptures. Look at your Bible, whatever your translation of choice. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. That's strong language from our Savior, but it's very important. It, we must believe, we must be baptized in order to be saved. That's what Jesus said, and that's what we need to do, and that's what we need to teach other people to do. And said, if you don't believe in me, you're going to be damned. I've had people say, you know, but that verse did not say, he that believes not and baptized not shall be damned. It just said, he that believes not shall be damned. Let me take you to a passage and then we'll come back here. Go with me to John 3 and verse 18. John 3 and verse 18 is just two verses after uh, the golden text of the Bible. The one of John 3, 16, a very beautiful passage. But in verse 18 he said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. My dear friends, listen, once a person refuses to believe, there's nowhere else to go, not going forward. They've got to believe and put their confidence, put their faith in the name of Jesus and his teaching and be willing to yield to his way in everything. Jesus told Luke the same thing. They all three got wrote about it. Luke 24, this is the last chapter 
of Luke. You may be asking why is it always the last chapter? Well, because these events happened after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. As we will find right here, this is right at the time that he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. So that is the reason all of these are at the end of each of these books. Luke 24 and verse 46 and 47. Thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Get a hold of verse 37 now. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Listen, verse 47 is an absolute powerhouse passage. The word of God teaches here repentance and remission of sins. Two key factors right here. This is the only account in the great commission of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that mentions repentance. The only one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's why when you're studying a subject, you get all that the Bible teaches on that subject. You read it and you study it and you let the Bible interpret the Bible and you get better understanding of what it is. So Matthew's account, you know, told us to go to all of the world and Mark's account, go to every nation. And Luke's account now, he said, here's what we want you to do. I want you to repent and have remission of sin. Verse 47. You know, the other version said, of uh, Matthew and Mark's account, they said baptism. Did you know baptism is for the remission of sins? Did you know that? Now here, it's kind of neat because Luke's account of the Great Commission tells you what the baptism is for, for the remission of sins. But keep your, keep your marker here. Let me take you to another passage, please. I'll take you to two places. Let's go to the book of Acts. Chapter 2 and verse 38. In Acts 2 and 38, the word of God said, and this is the day the church was established. And in Acts 2, 38, the Bible said, Then Peter said, Repent and be baptized, who? Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My dear friend, this passage is wonderful. It will... Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Luke taught us about repentance. Luke taught in Acts 2 the same thing. There's no guesswork about it. This passage in Acts 2 and 38 said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Stay with me, please, in Acts. And let's go to chapter 22. What we're learning in, in Acts here, and this will probably be, it won't be my last verse in Acts tonight, but... I, want, I have other material I want to cover, so therefore we will go there. Acts 22 and verse 16. Why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Christians, listen, there's no guesswork about it. The Great Commission is teaching us that we should believe in Jesus Christ, repent of our sins. We need to confess the name of Christ. We need to be buried in baptism for the remission of sins, to wash away your sins. And we learn that from those three passages, and that is very important. Who's included? The very thing that Peter said, every one of you. Notice here, everyone is included. I'm not going to reread these passages, but if you'll see Matthew 28, 19, it says, teach 
all nations. Now, I preach from the King James Version, and it may word it different in your translation. Mark 16, verse 15, Mark said, go to all the world. Mark 16, 15 also said, to every creature. So you go to all the world, you go to every creature, you go teach all nations. And then you go down to Mark 16, verse 20, he said, preach everywhere. Everywhere you go, preach, talk to people. My friends, listen, we need to be eager, willing, and ready to talk to people about Scripture. In a little bit, our last passage for the night will be 1 Peter 3 and 15, where it says, be ready to give an answer. It is so important for us to be ready. Sometimes we expect too much out of ourselves, and sometimes we don't expect enough out of ourselves. So I want everyone here to know it is your responsibility as a man or a woman it is your responsibility outside as you're working, your neighbors, your friends, your organizations, your job, whatever, you to talk to people about the gospel, every opportunity that is there. And if you don't have an opportunity very often, work to make one. It is that important. Because, see, everybody is going to be saved or some, unfortunately, will be lost. But everybody that is saved is saved because they obeyed the Great Commission, and they were obedient to Jesus' commands. Unfortunately, those who are lost, they may have done a lot of things right, but they did some things wrong, and they lost their soul. And that is so sad to me. You know, we've got to concentrate here, saving thyself. This is so important because nobody can save us for us. Nobody can save me but me. I've got to be willing to obey from my heart that form of doctrine as the word of God teaches. But did you know the Bible addresses this? And he said, now the first thing you've got on your mind, you make sure you are right, you are saved. Then let's look at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. This is the very unique passage. It's one that Paul is now teaching a young evangelist. And I remember very much in reading and studying as a young preacher, you know, with this passage, any passage that address a young person, I was very interested in. You know, I started preaching when I was 17 years old on a full-time basis. I gave my first lesson, I think, when I was 11, 10 or 11. I had to stand on a concrete block to see over the pulpit, but I got it done. When I was preaching at home, it was 45 minutes and my brother Mark, when he preached at home, it was about 40, 45 minutes. And we said, Dad, we got too long a lesson. That, and um, no, he said, don't worry about it. It'll, it'll all take, fall into place. Well, we got up there, and sure enough, mine was five minutes and his was seven. It took care of itself, no sweat. I remember that very well because giving a lesson, my first one ever, yeah, it, and that 45 minutes went real fast. Did go from the first page to the last. Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, now this is the last verse of that chapter, but listen carefully. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save thyself. The word of God talks about saving thyself. That's it. 
1 Timothy 4, verse 16. No guesswork about it. That's what the word of God said. And then it said, and them that hear thee. You save yourself. You make sure that your life is right with the Lord. And when it's right with the Lord, you're going to have a powerful influence over those that you know and people that you meet. And then you can work to help to save other people. Paul, to this young preacher, Timothy, gave him a strong, strong message. Acts 2, which is the day of Pentecost that the church was established, the first Pentecost after the resurrection. That's the second chapter. A lot happened in the 39 verses before verse 40. But here he lets everyone know the importance of them obeying the word. And in Acts 2 and verse 40 said, And with many other words did he exhort them, saying, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, today, if people do not take living a Christian life as strong as they should, they're not going to make it. You'll be distracted. And I'm going to show you how the Bible tells us what to look for. That's what is so beautiful about it. We can learn, learn this from the Word of God. I am only giving you what the Bible says. And that's what this congregation is all about. It's Bible speaking, Bible preaching, book, chapter, and verse. That is what it's all about. And when you look at Acts 2, and you look at verse 40, and he says, save yourself from this untoward generation. Again, just like Paul told Timothy, save thyself. Here, he said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Dear friends, listen, that's serious. But the Lord is putting the ball in your court. And he's wanting you to make sure that you are right with the Lord. All right, the next verse. Philippians 2.12 this congregation at Philippi, Paul told them, and they were really one of the greatest congregations that we have biblical record of, in my judgment. It was one of the congregations, one of the rarities, that Paul wrote four chapters in this book of Philippians, and nothing was said negative to them. Not one thing. But what he did tell them is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what do you say? Work out your own salvation. You want to be saved? Work it out according to God's will. Examine your life and make sure. Now, here we're learning without any doubt at all how this is and how this falls into place. He's putting responsibility on each person. You know what many congregations really, really do? Whether they think they are or not, they want to put the responsibilities on the preacher. Now, that's what we've got a preacher for. we we got preacher, or in your case, preachers, to do the word. So, therefore, I don't have to. Wrong. I'm not saying that you would think that, but a lot of churches, a lot of places, they said, no, that, and I've had them tell me that. That's for the preachers. No, no, no. It's for you. It's for every man and for every woman to do everything you can. And before this lesson is over, we're going to see just how important that is. That we warn the wicked from the error of their way. I'm give you two Old Testament passages. Both of them are from Ezekiel. You'll notice Ezekiel 3, verse 18 and 19. Then its same message is recorded in Ezekiel 33, verse 8 and verse 9. 
Let me lay a little bit of groundwork. The cities of the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, these cities generally, they had walls built around the city for their protection. Lest an enemy were to arise or, and were to you know, plow in and, and want to have a war. So they had walls around them. Now we're not talking about a wall like you have in a house. We're talking about a massive wall that you can walk on. And they would have guards that would walk, each one would walk around this building. Constantly, they would walk. And then if they saw the enemy coming, they would blow their trumpet and warn the people. And if the people did not take cover, they were at their own loss. But the person who was the guard or protection, he is spared. But if all of a sudden they saw the, the one who's in the guard on top of that wall walking from corner to corner usually, and then they would rotate corners to corner, and then they had four of them that was doing that, and if they got scared and they just went and hid because the enemy was coming, God had something to say about that. He was not impressed, and he let them know, you're going to be condemned. I want to read these passages for your consideration. King James Version, please, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 to verse 19. The Bible said, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, Thou givest him not warning, and, and nor do you speak to warn the wicked from the wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. That scares me to death. To know of, of somebody who's in a sinful condition, and I do not warn them about that, his blood can be required at my hands. Look at the next verse. Yet, here's the flip side. If thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wicked ways, nor from his wicked thoughts, he shall die in his iniquity. But, get hold of this, thou hast delivered thy soul. When you warn the wicked from the error of their way, you have delivered your soul. That's important. Now this shows every member of the church has responsibility to warn people of the error of their way, do the very best you can to teach them what the Word of God teaches. It's not just a preacher's help. I will tell you how we can use the preachers here in a little bit, but it's your job, men and women of inner congregation. Now, you're going to think I'm just rereading the same verse, but in Ezekiel 33, verse 8 and verse 9, here we find something very unique because now, He's going to say the same thing. He just emphasizes it slightly different, but it's pretty clear. Verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, and his blood will I require thy hand. Nine, nevertheless, I like this one. If thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity once again. But thou hast delivered thy soul. The need for saving souls, yourself, is for you to share the gospel with other people. You know, 
you're going to know people in your community, in your work, in your organization. If you're a member of some organization, you're going to know people that nobody else here may know. And if you do not warn them from the wicked ways or sinful ways, who is? If you do not take interest in their soul's salvation, who is? Oh, yeah, they can go right down the street and find people to teach them things way foreign from Scripture. We today must be a Bible-speaking people. We've got to stay with the Word and hang tight with requiring book, chapter, and verse. That's how we know right from wrong. Now, let's go to our eternal soul. Let's take a good look at that. There's two passages here. James 1 and verse 21. We'll read it first. It's going to talk about saving your soul. And, and this is so wonderful. This is the brother of our Lord preaching here. And he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. What did it say do? Now, we read passages, but I'm afraid we don't stop to meditate as the Bible says, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. We've got to take heed here. When you continue in this, you'll save your soul. James 1.21, that's what it's all about. The brother of Jesus taught us how to save our soul. And dear friends, listen, if we choose not to do that, we're about our worst enemy because we are allowing other things to get in our way. You know, when I look at that verse, it just makes it so clear. The brother of our Lord in verse 21, he said, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity in the King James Version. Superfluity. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and do this. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which they would save your soul. Don't feel like you've got to win a battle. Just speak the truth in love. Share the good news with a caring spirit. You don't go running over somebody and making them feel bad about themselves. You show them this is what the Bible teaches. And when you let the Bible do the speaking, people won't get mad at you. They would just have to struggle with Scripture. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I believe this and I believe that and all that. That don't mean one thing. be honest with you, it means nothing. For Alan to believe this or that, no, what matters is what does the Bible say? And am I, am I obeying the scriptures? So what we're learning here, under saving thyself, we're learning very much how it is to save your soul. Unfortunately, in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, we learn here, let me tell you what, this passage here, so I'm glad you haven't taken a picture yet. Let's go to Matthew 16 and verse 26. Matthew 16 and verse 26. You know, the Word of God makes it real clear when you have the right passage. Matthew 16 and 26. What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and he loses his own soul? What? Now, have you ever thought about that? If you had all the money in the world, all the wealth, all the riches, 
all the material things of this world. If you actually own the world, Jesus said, what will you give in exchange for your soul? You know, many people feel like, man, we got it made. I've got plenty of money. I've got a beautiful home, drive a beautiful car. I've got, you know, good clothing. I, I've got everything I need. You know, those people, not everybody, I'm not saying, but a lot of those people trust in their money and they love their money instead of loving the Lord. Jesus said, listen, what will you give in exchange for your soul? When we make poor decisions. We're exchanging whatever that poor decision, if it's a morality issue, if it is a matter of working and not ever working for the Lord, but just working for yourself and, and doing things to make you more money and more earthly possessions. Listen, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have earthly possessions. But what is wrong is when your love and loyalty is there and not to the Lord. That's where it's wrong. Okay. See, we have that eternal soul that will live forever and ever and ever. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it in everlasting terms. We're not going to go there and give a bunch of scriptures, but it's all there. Everlasting, eternal, forever and ever. That's how long your soul is going to live. So when you die, when I die, ultimately, after the events take place, you know, if we die before the Lord comes back, one, we will go to the place for the righteous or to the place for the wicked. Let's follow on, please. We've already referenced Matthew 28, 19, the importance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand that all three of these have part of your Christian life. When you pray a prayer, for an example, this is beautiful. This is heartwarming. This is encouraging. When you pray a prayer, you pray the prayer by the teaching of Jesus, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus will intercede for your prayer. Holy Spirit will intercede for your prayer. Jesus, the Bible said, that you pray whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will also intercede for your prayers. So whenever you pray, Heaven is alerted. They know it. They know it. I, I love to pray knowing how things are coming to work in, in the working orbit as the Word of God teaches. So listen, include God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your life according to Scripture. Okay. Would you look with me please at Matthew 21? I want to give you three or four illustrations here that will help us in our studying with other people. You know, a lot of times you only have maybe a 15 minute break every so often at work or at school. You may have a lunch break or a study period or whatever. So you need something that you can briefly communicate. Well, I'll, I'm gonna give you two or three. There's many, many more we could talk about, okay? But I'm just give you two or three suggestions or some ideas and you may want to choose these or you may want something else but you don't have to teach them everything you know in one sitting work slowly and teach them what's important now let's give an example right here Matthew 21 23 through 27 this is where Jesus was confronted by the chief priests and the elders of the city the leaders of the city you know you know what they wanted they said, by what authority 
Do you do what you do? And who gave you this authority? They were challenging Jesus. He was challenged at every turn. And Jesus said, you know what, boys? Tell you what I'll do. I'm going to ask you a question, too. You answer mine, and I'll answer yours. Now, listen, Jesus wasn't afraid to answer there. He already did in Matthew 28, 18. He said, all power and all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So he had already said where he got his power from. But these guys were up to no good. They were trying to trick him, as you can see, numerous cases throughout the gospel. But by what authority do you do those things? And who gave you that authority? Jesus said, yeah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll answer yours when you answer mine. That's the way Jesus answered a lot of questions. Many times he would answer a question with a question. This is your, one of your examples. And Jesus said, the baptism of John, whence was it? Where did it come from, in other words? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? Uh-oh. These chief priests and these elders go over here and they kind of huddle up and say, he's done it to us again. He stumped us again. You know and I know if we say it's from heaven, he can say, why didn't you obey him? If he says it's from men, oh man, everybody here loved John the Baptist and therefore, man, there's no telling what they would do to us. So they concluded the best thing to do is not answer at all. So they went back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we can't tell. He said, okay, well, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now, he knew what the answer was, of course. We've talked about that. But these people, Jesus had to show they were false religious leaders of their areas. Dear friend, this is a great passage. Matthew 21 23 through 27 is where these four questions come from and the little story scene. But you know, you could cover this in, say, a 15-minute break. You could cover it in a five-minute break. And you just focus attention right here and say, listen, we need to go by the authority of Jesus. Let it know that authority comes from heaven and the teaching of what we do within our assembly and our doctrine came from heaven, not from men. That we're going to go by the Bible We'll go by what the writing of all the inspired men, Jesus, the apostles, and other inspired people. You know, that one little story can be really helpful. I know because I've used it so many times, and it makes a, an impact on people. It gives them something to think about. And that's enough for people to go home with, Matthew 21, 23 through 27, and they can look at their worship Look at their doctrine. Look at the previous way they've been taught for salvation. Look at the communion. Just look at everything spiritually and say, hmm, by what authority do I do what I do? Who gave me this authority? Is what I do from heaven or is it from men? If it's from heaven, it's in the Bible. If it's not from heaven, it's not in the Bible. Plain and simple. Okay, that's one example. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Paul is writing the congregation at Corinth. The congregation at Corinth was a challenging congregation, but don't thump on them too hard because it was a new congregation. You can read in the book of Acts where 
the congregation got started. It was it was a new congregation. You know, when people come in from the world and they become Christians, listen, they may have some luggage, you know, over their back. There's no telling what, but you work with them and help them day in and day out. Well, the Corinthians were that way. And here's what the Bible taught them. He said, here's what I want you to do. Paul said, I have planted, Apollos is watered, but it's God that brings the increase. Aren't you glad that God did not say to us, now you have to baptize 50 people or even 25 people in your life or you're not going to go to heaven. He never gave you a quota. But what he said, listen, this is rewarding. I have planted, Apollos has watered. God will do his part if we'll do our part. I've had many congregations throughout the brotherhood, some where I go in meetings and other places and people that attend, and they'll say, why does some congregation just expound and grow and others just kind of barely exist to the point that you wonder if they're going to dry up and blow away? I said, well, there may be a lot of answers to your question depending on every spot, but I'm telling you this, they're the fundamental flaw in some congregations because they're not planting and they're not watering. And if we don't plant and we don't water, God's not bringing the increase to that community, to that congregation. That's why every member here needs to be involved in planting and watering. This is where Noah and Hayden can come in. You know, you plant the seed with a friend or someone you have met, and then you plant it, and one of these preachers can study with them. That means water it, and then God will bring the increase. Everybody's not going to be saved, despite the good heart and good intentions. You know, just face it. How many people did Jesus have when he was hanging at Calvary that was even present? You know, many times when Jesus was gathered with people and even the apostles, you know, the crowd would start off big and then finding people someplace that would leave. And Jesus said, will you also go away? They said, no, no, you've got the words to eternal life. My friends, please, every member of this congregation or wherever your home congregation is, let's understand it is our duty to plant. It's our duty to water. We work together as a team, and then God will bring the increase. God will do his part if we are willing to do our part. Well, that's another real good illustration for people to understand how important it is to evangelize. Let me give you another one. Matthew 13, 3 through 9. Now, this is very popular, and I'm not spending a lot of time here. Sometimes I preach whole lessons on this one point. But Matthew 13, verse 3 through 9 is called the parable of the sower. It gives the illustration, Jesus does, of four different types of soil. The wayside, the stony soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. This has worked so many times, I just can't hardly help from using it all the time. It is fabulous to talk to someone and, and let them read for you, Matthew 13, 3 through 9, the parable of the sower. What is so unique about this parable is Jesus gives us a parable and then he explains the parable in verses 18 to 23. I wish he did that on every parable. Then there wouldn't be so much discussion about what it means or what it doesn't mean. 
But what he did give us, he said the one who goes by the wayside is one that he heard the word and it just went away. He was not at all interested. It just went bye-bye. The birds came and ate the seed and it's gone. Are you one of those? People say, oh, no, I don't want to be one of those. So I don't blame you. I don't either. Well, guess what? We just got rid of 25% of the seed. All right, now, how about stony? Stony ground. This is the person that hears the word and he obeys it, but it just got just, just a little bit of dirt, a little bit of fertilizer, and he's here today, gone tomorrow. Just not enough earth to keep them going in this plant. Then he said, thorny soil. Oh, let me tell you what. Thorny soil is really tough. You know what thorny soil is? You can read it in verses 18 through 23. It says when people are carried away with the cares of this life. The cares of the world. And they're taken back by that. And they begin to be participating. The world gets in their way of living a Christian life. They've heard the word. They've obeyed the word. And then they intend fully to stay faithful to the word. But then they get distracted over here somewhere. And they go that way. Or they go this way. Or they fall way behind. That's the thorny soil. I really believe this is what gets most people Thorny soil is so easy. That's when we get distracted by other things in our life. So bringing our life back into place really means a lot. But then the good soil. Yes, the ending of the good, the good soil. They hear it. They obey it. They stay faithful to it. The Bible said, be faithful until death and I'll give you a crown of life. That's the good soil. So you can explain this to anybody. Three of the four didn't do fair very well, but that good soil, wow. That's what I want to be. That's what you want to be. You want to be the ones that hear it and obey it, stay true to it. That doesn't mean you never make a mistake. You will. The Bible says when you do, you repent and pray and have prayer and you move on. Don't beat yourself up over it. Just say, hey, I messed up. I am sorry and repent of your sin to confess your faults and have prayer. The Bible teaches that, 1 John 1 and Acts 8 also. Well, in conclusion, this right here is very important, but I'll be very, very brief here. Acts, the 8th chapter. This is the conversion of the Samaritans. Acts 8, first, Acts 8 verse 1 is when the there was persecution in Jerusalem and they were scattered abroad. The Christians were scattered abroad, verse one. And one said, I'm going to go to Samaria and I'm going to preach the gospel to them. The success was there. See, that's planting the seed. Verse 12, many of the Samaritans believed and were baptized. Well, in verse 13, Simon the sorcerer was baptized. He was one that had previous been recognized as being a person of uh, authority and power and understanding. But once he heard the apostles, and he equally gave in and he obeyed the gospel. Dear friends, taking a good look at Acts 8, when you can convert a lot of people in Acts 8 chapter, it's fabulous. 
Acts the 18th chapter is great because it's a husband and a wife is the teamwork. Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, they went in near the synagogue, you know, where the Jews gathered and, and, and they, they listened to Apollos, who the Bible said was mighty in the scriptures. People can be mighty in the scriptures and still be misled and not fully understand. That was Apollos. He was a great man. Great man. You read it. The Bible describes him as a great man and mighty in the scriptures. They didn't interrupt and make a big scene there. No, they didn't do that. They waited till it was complete. And then they took him aside privately and Priscilla and Aquila talked with him. I love this. And they taught him the way of the Lord more perfectly. That's what the Bible says. They taught him the way of the Lord more perfectly. And then... He obeyed the gospel. And everything from this point forward, you can hear positive things about Apollos. Apollos is a great Bible study if you ever want to do a character study. In Luke 16, 19-31, is that infamous story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 19-31 tells the whole story. Lazarus was saved. The rich man who was not named was lost. And you can read over this little story and you can understand that there are some people going to be saved and some people are going to be lost. Just like the rich man and Lazarus. In Revelation, the sixth chapter, verse 9 through 11, this is saved people. Here in Luke 16, we saw the wicked people who were lost. Right here, there are saved people who murdered for their religious conviction. In Revelation, the sixth chapter, the Bible said, when he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the testimony which they held. And these people remembered, you can read it for yourself, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. They remembered those people and they remember how they died. They said, Lord, when are you going to take vengeance on those people that took our lives? He says, rest for a little season until all things be fulfilled. My dear friends, please understand the goal of our revival, gospel meetings, preaching, studying with people is to help save their soul. There's a the tremendous need for saving souls today. 1 Peter 3.15 teaches us, be ready to give an answer. I promise you, these little methods and illustration from Scripture and these teaching about saving your souls are so important. You make sure you're saved and then do everything you can to help save others. Work together as a team. Every member of the congregation, you're blessed in having two evangelists in your area. This is great. And everybody needs to work together with great effort to win the lost.